Well, this is Ed Stetzer Live, and of course, this and every Saturday, we come to you live with important conversations that really, hopefully, are pertinent to the moment. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm Ed Stetzer. I'm the dean at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, and occasionally a motivational speaker who lives in a van down by the river. I say that because I have been on the road for 18 of the last 21 days. And so one of the things I've learned, and many of you have kind of followed our journey from living in England in the fall and then living in California for a while and then decided to move to California from Chicago. You can't get anywhere from California. So it is like when you go to, I was in Washington, D.C. last week. When you go sit there, you got to fly a whole day to get there. And you, you don't hear my complaining, but the point is, is that I am glad to be back. I'm actually broadcasting live from my studio here at Mariner's Church in Irvine, California, and uh, where I serve as teaching pastor and excited to bring a, what I think is kind of a, a fun conversation today. I guess, well, we'll see it. We'll see how funny it is, but we're, we're working on it. Um, so, so, cause here's the deal. Um, Man, you got to follow your heart. That's why you're here all the time. You got to you got to follow your heart. You got to you got to you only live once. You got to, you know, live your best life in this moment. Be your best you uh and more. And so I'm excited about having a conversation that pushes back against a bit of that, which is really just the just the mainstream narrative. It is what people think. So my guest today is Thaddeus Williams. He's an assistant professor of systematic theology for the Talbot School of Theology. Yes, we work together at Biola University. He's taught philosophy and literature at Saddleback College, jurisprudence at Trinity Law School, and a lecturer in worldview studies at Labrie Fellowships in Switzerland and Holland. And well, there's more I could read on and on, but he resides in Orange County. Uh, got a wife and uh, is married, has four children. He's the author of uh, the bestseller, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, 12 Questions Christians Should Ask About Social Justice, which I like so much. We started using it in our Doctor of Ministry program uh, there at Wheaton College before I had any conversation about coming to Biola University. But his latest work is is a bit of a heretical idea. It's a bit of a countercultural expression. It's called Don't Follow Your Heart boldly breaking the Ten Commandments for self-worship. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the program today, Thaddeus. Hey, it's a joy to be with you, brother. It's not every day that uh, Ed Stetzer describes your work as, quote, heretical. So uh... Yes, well, it is. It is. I mean, it's just heretical <laughs> stuff. You're going against the grain. You're going against the yes. flow. And, uh, and you want us to join the heretics. We're going to talk about that as, <laughs> as well. Uh, yeah, it is pretty nice when your dean calls your work heretical. But, but Thaddeus, I mean... You're kind of like, you know, putting a flag in the ground. You're, 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 you're like the guy standing in the her Jim, what's his name? Katori in the Weather Channel standing against the hurricane of culture and saying, <laughs> don't follow your heart. But that's, dude, I watch, I watch the movies. You know, I, it's everyone's following their heart. That's the way to find happiness. Why such heresy from you, Thaddeus? Tell us more. <laughs> well, the inspiration actually came from, uh, probably my favorite heretic of all time. Uh, no, I'm not talking about Pelagius. I'm not talking about um, Eutychus or Nestorius. I'm talking about my 12-year-old daughter, Holland, who, uh, this is going back a couple years, we play the game, uh, I learned it from Oz Guinness, where you play spot the lie. Whatever you're watching with your kids, if they can point out a false idea, explain why it's false, they win $1. And so we had been playing this for years and years and years. And Holland, who we call Dutch for short, Dutch comes jumping down the stairs. Daddy, you owe me another dollar. All right, what'd you find this time? 
and she had been watching a commercial for whatever, you know, rainbow pixie princess fairy doll or whatever. She said, Dad, the commercial told me I should follow my heart. I said, okay, well, spot the lie. And her response was, and I quote, Daddy, I don't want to follow my heart. My heart's fallen. I'd way rather follow God's heart. And I just like <laughs> teared up with joy, <laughs> wrapped my arms around her, and Holland earned, you know, well-deserved $5 for that one. And I, it dawned on me the more I, I pondered her answer, uh, her spotting the lie, just how heretical it is to say don't follow your heart in a culture of expressive individualism. And I think, uh, especially teaching at Biola, having worked with millennials and Gen Z, the, the more I see people follow the false gospel of being true to themselves, the more miserable they become. So I figured it'd be worth writing a book to show the superiority of following God's heart rather than our own. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you you it, it really does stand against the cultural excuse me, narrative that's relatively new. I mean, this is not the way people historically, people of faith have thought uh, about, you know, how to find self-actualization. Some of this comes from the Enlightenment. Some of this comes from, I don't know, just our culture of, of self-fulfillment. Um, but I guess the question some people have is, I don't follow my heart. Then, you know, what do I follow? I mean, you and you do lay out alternatives. You kind of talk about some of the really wrong narratives, but you lay out an alternative. But let's let's start generically. If I don't follow my heart, how do I know what to do and where to go? Sure. I mean, just consider the fact that everybody has an internal soundtrack, right? We're always sort of talking to ourselves and either telling ourselves the truth or lying to ourselves all the time. And so let's take, let's take a hypothetical uh, Talbot student. We'll call him Bob. And let's say Bob is walking around feeling like, oh, nobody loves Bob. I'm unlovable. And, uh, you know, who knows where that, that message came from in his head. But if he's going to honor his emotions, if he's going to be true to his heart, he's, he's going to find himself what uh, David Foster Wallace, the great postmodern novelist, described it like this. He said, we all become kings and queens trapped in our tiny skull-sized kingdoms. And, and that's what would happen to Bob, just, just trapped in his skull. Now imagine, you know, well, where do we look for guidance if not to our own fallen, fragmented hearts? Let, let's say Bob is sitting there in a Talbot New Testament theology class, and he's reading through John 17, and he sees this phrase where Jesus is praying to his father. So we get to sort of eavesdrop on an intra-Trinitarian conversation. And the father... Jesus makes the most staggering statement. He says, Father, you love them, them referring to us, to every believer down through the echelons of time. He says, Father, you love them even as you loved me. And so now Bob starts to think about that. What, what is John getting at there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Well, how does the Father love the Son? Well, within the Trinity, the Father loves the Son infinitely, irreversibly, unapologetically, with the full weight of his divine perfections. So Bob ponders that a little bit more. So how am I loved? If This little Greek word, kathos, I'm loved even as, to the same degree as. I'm loved infinitely. 
I'm loved irreversibly. I'm loved unapologetically. I'm loved with the full weight of divine perfections. And so now the Bible can replace the broken, false soundtrack of Bob's heart. And so that's, that's the long answer to a short question is following God's heart means taking what he says about you infinitely more seriously than you take your own fallen emotions. Hmm. But it is, I think it is uh, easier and certainly much more accessible to listen to the self-talk that comes in your brain. And so you, again, you know, we, we, you, we've used the term heretics. I'm explain why a little bit and share the website, but, but on the website, it's, it's jointheheretics.com. Subtle, subtle, uh, jointheheretics.com. <laughs> and it's linked by the way, all this stuff, you can find the book and all more information about that. Yes. All at edstetzerlive.com is always all linked there in the show notes. Uh, you can also share this as well. Share the episode afterwards, share it with thousands of your friends. But, um, but in there, you, you quote some stats and you know, I mean, I'm a stats guy. I like stats. 84% of Americans believe that quote, enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. Unquote. 86% uh, believe in order to enjoy yourself, you must quote, pursue the things you desire most unquote. While 91% affirm the statement quote, to find yourself, look within yourself unquote. Now, um, as a, as a guy who's published a few books, um, not as, probably hadn't sold as many as, as your book on social justice, but as a guy who's published a few books, when you write something that is contrary to what nine out of 10 people believe, you're going to sell like eight <laughs> copies. So, because everyone does it. So, I mean, so why would I, as a follower of Jesus, you know, not everyone who listens to Moody Radio is a follower of Jesus, but why would I, as a follower of Jesus, want to push against what is the obvious prevailing narrative of the day? Talk to me, make a case for this, and then we're going to invite calls, take calls. By the way, our number to call in is 877-548-3675. Again, that's 877-548-3675. Again, so against the narrative of the day, why would I, as a follower of Jesus, want to live a different way and join the heretics? Sure, I, I think it helps to to sort of debunk the myth that following your heart, that this expressive individualism is something cutting edge. It's, it's new, it's trendy, it's innovative, it's, it's on the cusp. Um, I argue in the book that the idea of follow your heart is literally the oldest lie in the book. It, it's, it can trace the, the genesis of that idea all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, where the serpent makes an offer to our first parents and says, you know, just eat, eat the tree, eat the fruit, and you will be the languages like God, knowing good and evil. And for years and years, that language has baffled me. What, what does that mean, like God, knowing good and evil? And I read some commentaries, and some guys are saying, well, you know, Adam and Eve would just have abstract understanding of good and evil, but once they ate it, they'd have experiential knowledge, and that didn't really seem to fit. Um, nothing really matched until a few years ago, reading some of the old uh, Jewish rabbinic literature and then reading a lot of uh, one of my heroes, the, the Dutch theologian, Abraham Kuyper. And they sort of flipped the light bulb on for me. They, they showed that the Hebrew there, you'll be like God, knowing that there's not a great English word for what's going on here in the Hebrew. It, it's not book knowledge, it's not experiential knowledge, it's something more like, 
for lack of a better term, a maker's knowledge. I, I know something because I made it that way. And so maybe a helpful illustration here is, you know, when I was a Biola student, you know, back in the early 1960s, uh, just kidding, I'm not that old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's, like, that would wow, be impressive. you look pretty good. <laughs> okay, um, hold that thought, hold that thought, because we're going to, sure. I need to continue to take a, take a pause here and we're going to continue our conversation with you in just a moment. And let me again invite people to join us with your questions, your comments about maybe self-worship, about what the alternative is and more. 877-548-3675. We're here with Thaddeus Williams talking about his book, Don't Follow Your Heart. Call us 877. Oh, we have some copies to give away. 877-548-3675. Okay, we're back at Stetzer Live. We're going to go back to Thaddeus in just a moment. Thaddeus will just pick up where we left off. But for those who are listening, I want to encourage you to join us. Our phone number is 877-548-3675. We're talking about Thaddeus Williams' new book, Don't Follow Your Heart, Boldly Breaking the Ten Commandments of Self-Worship. Uh, we're going to specifically um, talk about that book, and we're going to give away a few copies. Now, again, we don't just—it's just, just you don't just call up and say, "Am I the fourth caller? Do I get a copy?" Uh, it's for your brilliant, insightful calls, which are many. They are legion on this program, and your brilliant insights uh, that you bring with comments or questions are always welcome. Again, eight seven seven. Five four eight three six seven five. Sorry, Thaddeus, we kind of ran out of time in that last segment. So just pick up where you were left off. You're telling a little bit of that journey. Yes, yeah, so we were walking through Genesis three five together. Uh, the oldest lie in the book is the serpent saying, "You can be like God, knowing good and evil." And I was saying that uh, Hebrew word there for knowing. It's it's a maker's knowledge. So when I was a Bible student back in the day. Um, one of my dear friends from high school ended up playing in a band uh, some of the listeners will be familiar with called Lincoln Park. And we were living in a, a dingy little bachelor pad and uh, I'd go off to classes, I'd go off to work and I'd come home. He'd come back from his glamorous rock star life, his day at the studio. And we listened to tracks together and I would grill him with questions. You know, what, what effect are you using on your bass? Why does it sound so huge? And, so face meltingly awesome. And I never once stumped him because he knew the songs. He didn't know the songs because he studied them or read the sheet music or listened to them over and over. He knew them because he made them. He, he chose them to be that way. And that's the kind of knowledge God has of the universe as as sovereign Lord. He gets to define the meaning of the universe. And so that phrase, you will be like God knowing, is a temptation to self-sovereignty, we might say. And it's followed up by the language of, you'll be like God knowing good and evil. And for years and years, I read that. It's like, okay, well, moral categories, good, evil, right, wrong, just, unjust. Uh, but there's something different going on here. And if we were to hop in a time machine, if we were to you know, get our flux capacitors fluxing and go back to the ancient Near East, they would use opposites to describe everything in between. That's just a common Jewish idiom. So if I say black and white as an ancient Jew, you would understand I mean every color. If I say uh, the Beatles and Nickelback, (laughs) the ancient Jew would understand you're describing every band. Uh, The best, and apologies to the Nickelback fans, but the worst. 
And so when this language is, you'll be like God knowing good and evil, that is ancient Hebrew shorthand for everything. So this, what today, this follow your heart mentality, this be true to yourself, be authentic, create your own self. Uh, again, it seems new to us, but it is the oldest lie in the book. It's, it's the offer, the, the serpent's offer to be our own sovereign selves. It's not just some innocent Disney character singing, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. It's not just some animated potato telling you to be true to yourself or some fairy princess telling our daughters to, to follow their hearts. What we're dealing with here is a very ancient uh, and very satanic worldview. Hmm. A sidious lie, for sure. Uh, maybe not as big a lie as the fact that Nickelback is a terrible band, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. The, uh, We're going to have to do another The song photograph, photograph is, well, <laughs> anyway, it's just, and I would tell you that Courtney, our engineer, Courtney, I should tell you that Nickelback's from Alberta, Canada, and I feel like you should defend that, considering your fiancé is also from Alberta, Canada. Okay, cool. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you want to jump in, Courtney? You want to speak into this? Are you where, where are you on the Nickelback controversy? Are I, don't, you there? I don't pay attention to any of it, so I absolutely have no idea. Okay, okay what well, if I say Alberta. Creed? Uh, Creed? I went to high school. Same high I'm school as the guy from fan, Creed. So. Scott Dave Stapp? Matthews, wow. Yeah, I did. I did. Not the same time. We went to the same high school, but but uh, but yeah. So okay, fascinating. All right. Well, disappointing. Uh, oh, this conversation is not going I'll as I research. hoped, but nevertheless. I'll, I'll research. I'll, I'll research. Yes, you'll have to do I'll a little. Okay, you'll thanks. have to do a little research <laughs> with we'll... that. Um, anyway, okay. So so we don't want to get distracted because this is good. This is a good conversation because I do think. I mean, but Thaddeus, it's as Christians, we know that living. Jesus way is always going to be the better, the right way, the, the way that, you know, God designed us and, and we rebelled against that design, part of the theology, even of the fall you were talking about. The challenge is it's, it's very difficult for people to resist the cultural pressure. You know, I'm, I, I'm a missiologist, so I, I teach people about this cultural moment we live in, and the cultural pressure is overwhelmingly in the direction of, you know, chase your dreams, live, live your own heart. I mean, you, you quoted frozen, you know, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's just in the water. And I want you to kind yeah. of explain how uh, we might respond to that. But let me just give one more time. We've got a few calls lined up, and then we'll jump to those after Thaddeus responds to this. But again, 877-548-3675. Again, 877-548. Five four eight three six seven five is our number. Now, obviously, you're you're calling for people, and he literally, I wasn't kidding about this website, Join the Heretics. So well, again, you can go to edstetzerlive.com, click right over to it, or go to jointheheretics.com. So I mean, so how do we persuade people, particularly maybe uh, young people? Um, you know, we 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 are both at a university. We've got a lot of nineteen year olds who are. You know, they're just swimming in a different cultural water that's very much driven by, by self-worship. So what's it like sure. to help people live differently? Yeah, I, I would say emphasize two main points. Number one is we are designed to be in a state of awe. We thrive best when we are awestruck by something bigger than ourselves. And there's, there's mountains and mountains of research coming out of the field of positive psychology on this. Uh, there's a researcher out here in Southern California at UCI named Paul Piff who's done tons of research showing that when people are awestruck, you know, we might show them a 
a panorama of the Grand Canyon. You might show them, you know, an image of the Aurora Borealis or something, something awe-inspiring. And what he found was that by putting people in what he calls mental states of awe, um, with what he calls awe elicitors, they they reason more clearly. They're more what he calls pro-social. They care about. They're more dialed into other people's needs. Uh, there's a researcher out of Arizona State named Michelle Shiota who's found that um, she she would actually have um, her study subjects read a terrible article, just riddled with bad arguments, and then she would put them in a state of awe. And she found that people's the, their cognitive faculties were enhanced. They thought more clearly. They were able to spot bad arguments and build better arguments um, just by being in a state of awe. And so all that is just the science slowly catching up to what Scripture has been saying to us for literally millennia, that the most frequent command in Scripture in Hebrew is yirah, to revere, to stand in awe, to be uh, standing in a state of fear for God, where we recognize someone who's infinitely more interesting than we are, who's infinitely more glorious than we are, um, who's infinitely more gracious and creative and, and beautiful and truthful than we are. And so that's one way to, to reach these upcoming generations reared on a false gospel of be true to yourself is show them that <laughs> there's not really a nice way to put it, but maybe we're not as awesome as we like to think we are compared to the infinitely awesome God of the Bible. And then real quickly, I said two things, so let me give uh, the second, is trying to follow your heart and, and obey your own emotions and be authentic to your your ever-changing feelings. Uh, something I've noticed, having been in the classroom for over 15 years, is many students buckle under the impossible weight of trying to create and sustain their own identities hmm. because that that's pressure. I have to hashtag live my best life. My life doesn't feel like the best version. All these, you know, filtered image images that are coming at me on social media, everybody seems to be living it up and, and I feel like I'm living my worst life and I had a terrible day and my day was riddled, riddled with anxiety or something. And, and so, a lot of younger folks have this chronic sense of dissatisfaction and this crushing weight of how do I figure out who I am? Like what of my heart of all these competing desires, because our hearts aren't unified. They, they are swirling with com competing desires. Which of those is the real me? How do I now make that my identity and how do I sustain that coherently over time? And then how do I get everybody else around me to acknowledge this identity? Like, man, oh man, that is a God-sized task. Literally, a, a creator-sized task to create and sustain an identity. And when we heap that on the shoulders of finite creatures, it's just plain mean. It's just plain mean. And so being able to, to present people with the good news that, look, you can experience the joy of having a, a God-authored identity rather than having to be in a chronic identity crisis trying to figure yourself out. Fascinating. Okay, well, let's, we're going to take some calls. And um, let's go first to Elena in Chicago. Elena's listening on WMBI, our flagship station. Elena, go ahead with your question or your comment. 
Oh, hello. Thank you for taking my call. I'm so excited you're talking about this. I've just been reveling in everything that you've been saying, that Darius has been saying. Thank you. Because um, I, I, I find that um, I talk to people about this regularly, about following your heart, and I find it's a good segue into evangelism, too, because a lot of the people I know aren't believers, and I know a lot of Jewish people, and I point out in their own scriptures, it says, don't follow your heart because it's evil, industrially wicked, who That's can right. know it? And I find particularly unbelievers, young people are so receptive to that. It's almost a relief. It's a, you know, it's like being locked in, you've been imprisoned in the house, and then you have the opportunity to go outside, but then there's a key to the basement, and you decide to go in the basement, and, the, and your, it's like your heart, instead of going outside yourself and knowing that there's something bigger out there than you are, particularly God. Who wants yeah. to go in the basement and stay in there? And they're, they're, they understand that, and they're relieved because they're really frightened that it's up to yeah. them. There's, there's no way out. And everything that's in their heart besides is coming from things outside, ideals that people are locking into their hearts com compiled with their own sin nature. And, the, and the young people really understand that. When I speak to believers about it, they say, well, God lives in me. That's Christ telling me these things. I says, well, how do you know? Do you go to Scripture? Are these things that you want? Or are these things that the Lord wants for you? And that's why I think unbelievers understand it a little bit more because, they, they, because we're lost before we're saved, of course. And they, I think they really feel empty and a relief. Hmm. There is a God. Tell me about him. You know, that's what mm, I find. What do you find there? Well, Elena, we're going to have Thaddeus answer in just a second, but we got to take a, a quick pause. And let me remind you uh, again that you can call. Maybe you'd like to get in line and, and jump into this conversation as well. Our number is 877-548-3675. Elena, if you hold on the line after Thaddeus answers your question, we'll give you a copy of his book, Don't Follow Your Heart, um, Boldly Breaking the Ten Commandments of Self-Worship. Stay with us. Continue our conversation. Hey, we're back at Central Live. We want to get right to Elena's question. And Thaddeus, she was kind of talking some about, you know, non-believers maybe being more receptive not to not follow your heart than believers who sometimes are not sure, you know, how to respond. Like maybe the Lord's, you know, I'm actualizing myself. Those are my words. So, uh, and Elena, remember to stay in the line because Karen Hendren, our producer, is going to come on and give you a copy um, uh, of the book, Don't Follow Your Heart. But Thaddeus, what do you think about uh, Elena's comments or question? Yeah, I thought that was very insightful. She sort of closed off there with, you know, is that is that what you see out there too? And to, to sort of broaden, broaden the conversation a bit, um, let me draw from uh, G.K. Chesterton, the great um, humorist slash theologian slash murder mystery writer. Uh, <laughs> Chesterton says this. He says, uh, you know, Christianity came into the world, firstly, in order to assert that a man had not only to look towards, inwards, but to look outwards, to behold with astonishment and, and enthusiasm a divine company and a divine captain. The only fun, says Chesterton, I love the way he puts that, the only fun of being a Christian was that a man was not left alone with his, quote, inner light, uh, but recognized an outer light, something outside of himself as fair as, as the sun. Um, so, yes, as Christians, we should be, especially now, th this cultural moment, trying to read the times, people, this, th 
the days are numbered of expressive individualism, this self-worship, the make my three best friends, me, myself, and I happy. People, it's starting to sink in. This is doomed. This does not work. And so for Christians to really lead the charge and say, look, yeah, we aren't as awesome as we like to think. The, the more we look inside of ourselves, the more we end up trapped in our skull-sized prisons. There is a God who is infinite and glorious and good and creative and just and all, all these things. Let's follow his heart instead of our heart. Um, Christians really should be um, sounding that from the rooftops. Now, I think one reason to Elena's question that non-Christians are often picking up on this is this is a truth, if you look hard enough, that is already in some of our best fiction and some of our best cinema. So, so think of, uh, you know, the, the Marvel Universe has just exploded one of the highest grossing franchises in the history of Hollywood. And there's this sense that Tony Stark, um, you know, spoiler alert to anybody who hasn't seen the 37 movies in the <laughs> Marvel Universe, <laughs> uh, but there's a scene where he flies upward um, in New York City through this portal in the sky, ultimately becoming a, a sort of Christ figure to, to send a nuclear bomb towards the source of evil, this alien ship. Uh, Matrix was another high-grossing franchise, and in Neo and Trinity, where you have some explicitly, you know, biblical names here, uh, they fly upward to confront the the evil oppression that is the, the mainframe, the computer that leaves everybody trapped in illusion. Um, like Luke Skywalker, uh, Indiana Jones, there's the Lord of the Rings trilogy. All this great, all these great stories have at, at their base. Don't follow your heart. There's actually truth and goodness and beauty and justice outside and above yourself that's that's worth pursuing. And so I think in, in terms of reaching upcoming generations, to in a sense remind them what they already know, that being trapped in their own heads is is not an adventure compared to to following God's heart, because if I'm my own standard of truth and goodness and beauty, there's an adventure by definition is impossible. There's nothing above myself to progress towards. There's no virtues outside of myself that I need to attain. There's no vices that I need to shed. If my heart is infallible, life becomes impossibly dull instead of the, the adventure that God intends it to be. Fascinating and, and really important as well. Okay, let's take some calls and kind of work through some of you know these questions that people have. I think there's some good good questions and calls on the line. We're going to go to Dave. And Dave, I'm not sure how to pronounce the city. Is it Eureka, California? But tell us how to pronounce the city and then go ahead with your question or your comment. Dave, are you there? Hi. This, yes. Uh, thank you, Ed. So this is Dave calling from Murrieta. Uh, French Valley area, area of Southern California. Yeah, we're about awesome. Go right ahead your question. Thirty minutes away. Comment. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Not very far. So, my question for uh, uh, Thaddeus, and so glad that you're taking the time to uh, be a guest on uh, Ed's program. When a Latter Day Saint says to 
pray and ask God if the Book of Mormon is true, and then uh, they get a feeling in their heart. The burning uh, of the bosom, is, yes. Yes. And so I, I don't know if that's something you would uh, have encountered in other religions or if you address that in your book, but uh, obviously it's hard to um, convince them that what they're feeling doesn't validate, uh, well, I mean, it validates to them their their belief, but it's obviously contrary to Scripture, and yet if they say, well, I prayed and asked God, and I've got this feeling, so that I find is a, a difficult conversation to have, and I'm yeah. wondering what your view on that would would be. Well, Dave, let me first give you a copy of his book, which I think will unpack some of that even in that conversation. Again, it's Don't Follow Your Heart, Boldly Breaking the Ten Commandments of Self-Worship. But a super question, and you know, his example was you know, Mormons, but I, I know I know Christians who sort of you know I've got this self validated feeling the Lord wants me to do something that's contrary to Scripture. So so start with his question, then broaden it as from there. Sure. Well, I was actually raised uh, Mormon, and so I heard uh, all the talk of the burning in the bosom uh, as a way to confirm that Joseph Smith is a true prophet and so forth. Um, so this is <laughs> this is very much in my wheelhouse. Uh, well, my parents uh, met a woman when I was a little kid who took the time to do theology, the kind of great theology that you might learn at, oh, I don't know, a place like Talbot School of Theology, just to throw a shameless <laughs> plug in there. And, uh, and this woman could explain clearly the difference between the biblical Jesus and the Jesus of Joseph Smith. And... God used that good theology to refute my parents, <laughs> no better way to put it, but to use good theology to refute their burning bosoms, like, like just give them a sense that, okay, my, my feelings aren't the final authority. Now, here's the interesting thing, is I had missionaries um, knock on the door mm, four days ago, uh, which is one of my favorite sounds in the world, the sound of a knock from your friendly neighborhood cultist. Um, I, it always turns into an ongoing, like, let's go play basketball on Thursday and then sit down have a meal and let's talk theology. And uh, in this particular group of missionaries started out, and I've noticed this more over the last mm, 13 years, by saying, we aren't here to convert you. Um, this is what we found to be true, but if you have your own truth, it was a very relativistic kind of a pitch. And I, and I asked them, I said, you know, I've noticed having talked to Mormon missionaries for my entire life and having been a Mormon as a kid, that the message used to be, this is true, like with a capital T and you should believe it. And, and it seems like it's turned into more of a, a mealy mouthed relativistic, be true to yourself, and maybe if this is true for you, that's great, but if not, hey, cool, you know, in one of the chapters in Don't Follow Your Heart is this idea, you do you, 
And so that, that you do you, be true to yourself. This is a truth. It's not the truth. It's lowercase t, not uppercase t truth. I noticed, you know, about 15 years ago, Mormonism passed the 10 million member mark, which was a big deal. But since then, if you look at just the graphs and the, the statistics, it, it began to really plateau um, hmm. about 15 years ago. And I, so I asked these missionaries in my little courtyard over here, I said, you know, I've noticed this shift from a, this is the truth to this follow your heart, maybe your heart will lead you to the truth of Mormonism shift. And they kind of looked at each other and elbowed each other and chuckled and said, yeah, we, we actually changed our, our missionary script, so to speak, um, because we realized, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in my words. They didn't say it this way. But basically, as culture was relativizing, that they didn't want to offend people or needlessly step on toes. So they sort of pivoted to this is something that works for us. It may work for you, too, if you get those subjective feelings. Now, here's what's fascinating, not to, to hog the mic here for, for much longer, but um, if you look at Islam over the same period of time, the Islamic message has not self-relativized or um, caved in to kind of the subjectivist, well, if you feel Allah exists, and if you feel Muhammad is his latest, greatest prophet, then that's great if that works for you. No, Islam is, is in many ways doubled down on its absolutist claims. Uh, and I think when Jesus is revealing himself, not as a truth, but as the truth, we make a big mistake when we try to turn Jesus into a chameleon who's just taking on the colors of the subjectivist culture. We need to be able to say loud and clearly, follow God's heart instead of your own. What he says is objectively true whether you feel it or not. He is the final authority. Bow to him. And that's how we reach Mormons, that's how we reach Muslims, that's how we reach relativists, that's how we reach everyone. We're going to continue our conversation with Thaddeus Williams with your calls, 877-548-3675. Talking about his new book, Don't Follow Your Heart. Again, 877-548-3675. Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer, and we're live, and we're talking to Thaddeus Williams. Our, uh, we're talking about, uh, Christina, I see your question from Chicago. We're talking about Thaddeus's book, Don't Follow Your Heart, Boldly Breaking the Ten Commandments of Self-Worship. We're actually not talking about a book that I'd read before that and used in uh, the doctoral program I led at Wheaton called Confronting Injustice, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising the Truth. Uh, 12 questions Christians should ask about social justice. I don't think we're going to get to that. I'm not saying that that issue have long answers, but we're not going to get to that <laughs> as well. So in the, in the remaining segment, however, we're going to try to get to as many calls as we can. It's, that's not a hint, Thaddeus, but you can receive it however you'd like to. Let's go to Andrea and Wheaton. You're live on the air with your question or comment. Jump right in, please. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm, I really love what you all have been saying. I want to know, I love this message, and aside from buying a case of your book to give to family and friends, how do I get the message out to people? What's a, what's a, what's a way to start a conversation around to this subject? Uh, but we yeah, had a little I, bit I of a hard time hearing you, Andrea, but we do, to, I think, 
Right. I think you were asking about how to get that message out. I also want to say to you, Andrew, we're going to give you a copy of the book. So stay on the line. Go ahead, uh, Thaddeus. What were you saying? Yeah, I would say um, start at, at jointheheretics.com. Well, the obvious answer is start with scripture. <laughs> um, but join the heretics is designed to be pretty engaging for folks um, to just question the what I call in the book, the unthought. It's, it's not, uh, following your heart isn't so much a conclusion, conclusion that people have reasoned to, it's just their starting point that they reason from. Um, as Ed said earlier, it's, it's in the water. And so starting conversations by getting people to question the water, um, is your heart really the ultimate standard? Good questions like that can go a long way. Love it. Let's go to Penny in Alabama. Penny, you're live on the air. Go right ahead. Yes. Uh, do you use the verse Psalm thirty-seven four? Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Great question, Betty. Hold on, we're going to give you a copy of the book as well. Go ahead, Thaddeus. Absolutely. There, there's something to, um, you know, Galatians five is another great one where the Holy Spirit actually supernaturally recalibrates our hearts. He implants love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control that that don't come natural to us and so there is a deep christian sense through the sanctification process follow your heart to the extent that the holy spirit has regenerated it and recalibrated our affections towards the glory of god love that love that we're going to go to i love where the diversity of our callers come from uh we're, go, we're just in alabama we, we we're about to go to minnesota alexandria minnesota i love uh, what janet wants to ask janet you're live on the air with your question or comment go right ahead yes i'm a public high school teacher also former missionary in alberta so go courtney enjoy that um <laughs> and nickelback but go ahead <laughs> <laughs> um, students you don't hear this all the time follow your heart what are some good questions I could ask where I'm limited in a public school setting to help them realize how false that truly is? Love that question, Janet. Hold on yeah, the line, too, because remember, we're going to give you a copy of Don't Follow Your Heart. Go ahead, Thaddeus. That's such a great question. Um, one question that's just very straightforward is, and it's not intended as a gotcha question. It's a better question framed in the context of they know you care about them. But just to ask, how's that working out for you? Really, how, how is that working out for you? And if there's a context of trust, a lot of people will open up and say, I'm miserable. The, the harder I look into my own heart, what is my heart saying? It's saying 50 different things at the same time. And tomorrow it's going to say 50 different things. Um, so asking the question, how's that working out for you, goes a long way. Um, I would also ask a question like, um, you know, you're, you're created like me to be awestruck. Does following your heart give you more or less awe? Um, you could ask a question like, you know, if, if you're your own standard of morality at any given moment, you can't really make any progress. That, that seems to make life a little bit dull and boring. Like, don't, don't you think... Do you think maybe there's something bigger and beyond you to progress towards? Um, I, yeah, I'd start there. Those are a couple couple questions to get the conversation moving. Love that. I love that, you know, Janet, first of all, thank you for being there in the public schools and asking some of those questions. And I, I remember a Christian, I was, I'm a public school, high, high school graduate, and I remember 
a Christian teacher asking me questions that did indeed disrupt my uh, worldview and ultimately, in, in a way that, you know, that, that was appropriate in that context, actually caused me to think more deeply about ultimately what Jesus, who Jesus was and what he would do in my life. So love love that as as well. I think we got time for one more, uh, but we got to make it pretty brief. So I'm going to go to John in Greenfield, Illinois. John, if you can jump right in with your question, please. Go ahead. Hi, I had a question about how to recognize when the the prominent teaching of the culture doesn't go against Scripture. I use the example of the Pharisees, and uh, they all heard the same things that Jesus was teaching, but only Nicodemus recognized it and was prompted to go find out more and ultimately uh, received Christ as Messiah. Yeah. So, so let's jump right in, Thaddeus. I mean, the, the predominant view of culture is different. I mean, you literally calling jointheheretics.com. Um, so how do you know when the teaching of the culture goes against the Scripture, and how do you encourage people to follow the teachings of Scripture? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And by the way, um, you've got about a minute and a half left to answer that question. Oh, cool. Great question. Yeah, I think uh, there's something to just beholding Jesus— in, in encountering all the ways that he's awesome that that we aren't that just show him Jesus like <laughs> I, I don't know a better way to put it than than show him Jesus because uh, you take and I'm, I'm just flipping here I want to highlight um, in the 40 seconds I have um, God never lies or breaks promises we do God is not bound by time. He sees it all, past, present, and future, with perfect clarity. We don't. God is self-existent. doesn't require anybody to bring him into existence. We aren't. We need oxygen. We need food. We need water. And for some of you, you need caffeine to continue existing. God is sovereign and throned over the universe. We aren't. God is, bound, is not bound by space. We are. God is infinitely satisfying. Our best attempts to be the source of ultimate satisfaction for others will leave us all exhausted, jaded, and disillusioned. The list could just go on and on and on. I, so we end where we began. Go to the wisdom of a nine-year-old heretic when my daughter Dutch said, I don't want to follow my heart. My heart's fallen. I'd way rather follow God's heart. Good word, good word, and thank you so much, Thaddeus, to uh, to quote uh, a song lyric. Are we having fun yet? That's a good uh, song lyric for Nickelback, <laughs> in case those you're wondering. But thank my guest, Thaddeus Williams, for joining me today. Also, thanks to the behind the scenes teams at Moody Radio, my producer Karen Hendren, my engineer Courtney Young, and Anthony was man in the phones today, doing a great job. Great calls as always. We have the best callers and the best audience. So tune in next week. I'm going to talk to Eddie Bune uh, about the church's role in ending human trafficking. People have been talking about that all over the world. We're going to talk more about that next week. Uh, to hear today's program again, you can go to edsetzerlive.com or the Moody Radio app. You can subscribe as a podcast as well. Listen whenever you like. And remember, Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, and Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening. 